I'm just going to be reading from Psalm 46, and then I'm going to be going over to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Psalm 46 and verse 1, this is the King James Version. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Notice that? A very present help in trouble. Meaning he's always there whenever we need him, whenever we desire him, whenever we look to him. In Hebrews 12 and verse 2, but that means us looking away from all that would distract. Now for the Christian, the distraction is the flesh that's in us, but that we're not of. Many times the, the enemy tries to get us, and the trouble that he gets us in is the flesh. Areas where we haven't experienced the love that is ours, that he has made ours. And we don't, and positionally, but we yet don't experience. So God is our refuge. Listen, he's our only refuge. He's our only hiding place. Where has he hidden us? In Colossians 3 and verse 3, he's hidden us in Christ. He's hidden us in Christ. And there is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, guess what? We will not fear. Why? Because God is love. And there is no fear in love. And in first John four and verse eighteen, because God has not given us the spirit of fear. No, in Second Timothy one seven, but power. Who wants to think of that? God wants us all to think of that this morning. How God speaks to us in power. Power. But for us to experience it, we ha he again has to bring us back to the place where we are right now. We're weak meaning we can't do anything without him. In John 15, 1 to 5, there's not a single thing, not a single thought, not a single breath, not a single step, not a single word properly that we can do without him. There's nothing we can do without him. Now, in his love, when he's very present, we won't fear. Even though the earth be removed, be shaken, like it is right now in our present time. And though the mountains be carried, tumble into the heart of the seas, there's so much chaos going on. And though the waters thereof roar, waters many times in the scriptures mean people, and many are roaring. And there's so much of that going on. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 to 12, there are many voices. There's only one for us in John 10, verse 3, and that's the voice of our shepherd. And we don't give in to the voice of a stranger because the stranger, Satan, in John 10, 10a, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We don't listen to a stranger's voice. What is a stranger's voice? Something that removes us from experiencing God's unchanging, immutable love for us. And he's waiting in Isaiah 30 and verse 18 to be gracious. In the midst of it, he's right there in the midst of even the earth. Where is he in the midst of us right now? In this earth? He's, Christ is in us and we're in him. 
that we won't fear, though the earth seems like it's being removed. And though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, and though the waters, people all around us, roaring and troubled. Though the mountains shake with a swelling thereof. You know, when God has to do a shaking in those that he loves, you'll see that in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Look at those 29 verses. How it talks about those beautiful things there. How we need to lay aside every weight. What's the weight? You and I trying to do something in our flesh. Apart from him. Apart from the energy of God's love. Because love is God's, is his energy. It's who he is. And then out of that comes the purity of who he is. It's light. And that's a beautiful truth. And we're going to see how this works this morning. And I'm going to see it with you. Because we're all here. All of us are gathered around Christ. And when we are, then the Holy Spirit can take the things of Christ and show them unto us as we draw near to him. But in the midst of this, there is a river. Oh boy. In the midst of roaring waters, there's a river. And those streams, that, that river, that incredible river that carries us. You, you and I will see this in Ezekiel, the 47th chapter. The water is, is up to our ankles. The water comes up to our knees, to our loins. And sooner or later, that water's carrying us. That's a river. That's the river of God's presence. And it brings into our mind the beautiful lines in Psalm 16 and verse 6. The lines have fallen unto me in very pleasant places in the midst of all of this. There's streams, streams of the river of God's love for us entering into the streams of our consciousness, thereby cleansing us constantly. The streams whereof will make glad the city of God. And of course, in Isagogics, this is, this is eventually teaching how during the millennial reign, God will have his people and Christ will rule and reign over them. And of course, we will do this and we see this. We see the beginnings of it in Revelation, the 19th chapter and the, and the finishedness of the thousand year millennial reign in Revelation, the 20th chapter. But there is a river of God's presence in the streams of the purity of who he is flows in our minds. And it makes us glad. Oh, think about it. God in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 is resting in the love of his son. The son is resting in his love. And where is Christ right now in us? He's resting in us and his love and oh, how he wants to bring us from that place into his presence. The city of God. And you know what it is? It's a holy place. It's a holy place. The tabernacles. The dwelling places where God is most high. And here's the reality for us in the most intense way based upon for us as the church, as heavenly people. And in those Ephesian chapters, those first three chapters of Ephesians, God is in the midst of, of you and I. It says her. Why is that? Because we're the responders. We're his bride. In Revelations 19, 7 and 9, we're his bride. We are his body in Ephesians 5.30. We are his body 
in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. We are members in particular in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. We were gonna, we're gonna see what God is leading us through here, through all of this chaos, how he, Christ in us, is that peace that keeps all that chaos from entering in as he leads us through the finality of our place. We're finally now at the end of our journey, absent from the body, present with the Lord, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, we enter into face-to-face meeting with him. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, to have an intense fellowship with him of intimacy and seeing it and experiencing it for all eternity. In Revelations 2 and verse 17, and so God is in the midst of her. He's the initiator. And if he doesn't initiate, and he's constantly initiating to us, by the way, because we're in Christ. And he's constantly initiating this love for us. And if we don't receive it, and we can't without a yoke, and if we, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, and Lamentations 3 and verse 27, and if we don't receive what he deeply desires us to experience, then all we can do is react in the flesh instead of responding in a depth of intimacy with him. God is in the midst of her. And when he is, he you and I, she, you and I in Christ, will not be moved. God will help her. That's a promise. Hope deferred makes the heart sick in Proverbs 13, 12. But not if, but when the desire comes. Listen to what it is. And this is what he has to prepare in us. Because God not only does what he wants to do in us, which is already done, by the way, for us individually, but he wants to use us to do it for others. We forget the others. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. When we do, it's really because we forget him and us. And then we forget us and him. And then we see others the way we truly see ourselves. But ignorantly, we don't think we see ourselves that way. We just see others outside of his love. Well, God is in the midst of her and we won't be moved. God will help her. And that right early. Right at his time. Right at his time. In Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for God? No. No. It will return unto you. Listen to what it says. At God's set time. And you, Sarah, you, you're going to experience new life being born in you when in your old age you thought everything was gone and done and over. Do you ever view yourself that way? Outside of God's love, finished love? Have we ever viewed others that way? Well, she had that child, as God promised, didn't she? In Genesis 21, 1 through 6. And she laughed. And God has given us such evidence in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, in those some 40 verses. He's given us such evidence of how he came through for so many. And he's going to do it early, but in his time. And early here means when my will is not active in the flesh, but finally submitted to him, then the, the light will dawn on me. You know what the light brings in? The depth and intimacy of his love for us. And then that flows in us, that flows in me, and then it flows out in brokenness to others. And I see everyone exactly, in potential now. I see others as God sees me. Now, potential means for others that aren't born again. But God sees them in the perfection of his love. 
But when it comes to the local assembly and bodies of and the bodies that are his, the individuals in First Corinthians twelve twenty seven, we ought to always see them that way. Because if I don't, then I don't see myself that way. I see myself in the flesh, and I get caught up in all the roaring waters. You know the the roars. You know when it says here in Psalm forty six and verse three, they roar. Well, who causes that? In First Peter five and verse eight. Who's a roaring lion? He's got multitudes. Think of it, believers. Thinking that the roaring voice is God and God has something against them. When he only has, he only functions in the finishedness of his love for those that are in Christ. How should I see them in their growth at their worst moment? Does God see me after my sin? After my failures? after my shortcomings, or does he constantly see me in Christ? In Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. What is his eye? How does God view you and I in the love of his son that he gave for you and I and potentially for multitudes? Verse 6 of Psalm 46, the heathen raged, all the unsaved. They're raging and roaring unto him. And the kingdoms were moved. But you know, he uttered his voice. Oh God. And I love this. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. Areas in my life where I get cold and I get distant because I leave my first love experientially, never positionally, but experientially in Revelations 2 and verse 4, I get cold. And then I get up in the morning and I sit down and in comes his word and it melts all those cold areas. And not only is God doing that for me in the finishedness of his love for me that he deeply wants me to experience, but he wants that for every other single person. Starting with the household of those that are the faith, those that are the local assembly, those that are considered to be faithful, not what they do or what they don't do, but just positioned in Christ. And this is Ephesians 1 and verse 1. But I do it to them. In Galatians 6, 1 through 6. And all the way to the 11th verse or the 10th verse. Whatever I do, I do it to the household of those believers first. I don't live a selfish life. All the heathen raged, the unsaved, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. Eventually, this will happen. You and I will see this in 2 Peter 3 11, 10, 11 to 13. We will see that and getting us ready to go into the eternity of the eternities. We will see it eventually. The earth, that all the hard areas where we live in the earth, he comes in with his voice, the voice of the shepherd. Oh, I hear his voice again. Oh, that's right. He loves me, no matter how low I get, no matter how I struggle, no matter how I fail. Oh, it didn't change his love. He will lovingly chastise me to bring me into that place of love. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He will do so in Hebrews chapter 4. In Psalm, Psalm and in Proverbs 3, 11, 10 and 11. And in Hebrews 12, 4 to 29. He will do that in love for me and you. It says this, the Lord of hosts is with us. What does that mean? He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Who is he? God is love. Does his love ever leave us nor forsake us? No. We leave him, but he never leaves us. We leave ourselves, and when we do, we'll leave others. 
When I lose God's viewpoint of Christ in me, that's how I'll see myself, that's how I'll see others. No, the Lord of hosts is with us. Well, of course, the God of Jacob for them is their refuge, their hiding place. He's our hiding place from the storms, from the chaos, from the raging voice of the enemy who has deceived the whole world in Revelations 12 and verse 9. And he roars against those that are already in Christ and accuses them simply because Christ is in them. Christ, God and his love for us has united us to his Son. In Hebrews 2.11, both he that sanctifies, made holy, and those that are holy are all one. And he's not ashamed to call us brethren. In Hebrews 2 verse 12, in Psalm 22 and 22. He is not ashamed to declare who we are in him to his very Father. He wants to remove any shame in us experientially. He's with us. He's our refuge. Come. Come. Oh, no. Why do we wait so long to come? Come unto me, Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the circumstance and situation, come to me. I'm waiting to be gracious. In Isaiah 30 and verse 18, I'm waiting. Come to me, all of you that labor. You laboring something in yourself, an area of weakness, an area of sin, a deep desire for victory? Well, it's yours positionally. Come. It's ours positionally. Come. Come unto him. All you that labor and are heavy laden. Things that you, the enemy tries to put on you, and if he can put it on us, he, we will put it on others. But come unto me. You're laboring over your own personal things and sins and failures. And then you labor through being heavy laden, or what, uh, laden about what others put on you. Come unto me. And learn of me. You know, love is patient. Very patient. The older I get, the older I get, the more I realize how much more I have to be dependent on him. Otherwise, I will labor and be heavy laden. I will see myself outside of his love, and I'll see others. That starts in the household of faith, the local assembly. Come, behold, come to him, and behold the works of the Lord. Numbers 23 and, and verse 19. God is not a man that he lies nor the son of man that ever would change his mind. Has he not said, didn't he say to come and when we do what we'll learn of him? Because he's, he's gentle and humble, but we need that yoke and we'll find rest unto our souls. And what are we resting in? We're resting in his love. And when we rest in his love, where he's located, then that through brokenness, and he has to break us, the will being surrendered. And that love flows through us. It flows in us, an intimate relationship with the Trinity in us through Christ. But it goes to others. It goes to others. We're no longer in the flesh thinking too highly of ourselves. Because in the flesh, that's what we do. We think too highly of ourselves. And when then other times we're thinking too lowly of ourselves. But the humility, who Christ is in us experientially through grace, I'm not thinking of myself at all. Now I'm free. Because now I hear the shepherd's voice. I no longer hear the stranger's voice. Again, John 10, 3 and 4. 
No longer. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of man that he ever would change his mind. Has he not said? And will he not do it? Did we hear that? Do I hear it with you? Will he not do it? Because in John 15, 1 to 5, without him, we can't even do a single thing. We can't even think a right thought about ourselves. About God, ourselves, our, our other Christians, or even the unsaved. Has he not said and will he not do it? Has he not spoken and will he not bring it to pass? And then we'll see what Christ has wrought and already finished for us. For us in Christ and for every other believer and then potentially for the unsaved. Potentially. Well, we'll see what he has done. That's Numbers 23, 19 to 23. Verse 9, he makes wars to cease. <laughs> you know where that starts? That starts in us. These warring thoughts about God from the liar, the father of all lies in John 8, verse 44. He lies. And we're going to see this. He lies constantly against the the nature, character, and essence of God in Christ in us. When I get away from his love, I have to try and replace it with all these other lust patterns. He's irreplaceable. There's nobody like him. Read Isaiah, the 40th chapter. There's no one like him. Read the book of Job. No one like him. He makes wars to cease in us. Unto the end of the earth, he breaks the bow, the area of the flesh, trying to do things, trying to understand the word without God, the Holy Spirit, the only theologian and the only scholar. What makes me think because I studied something for years and I think I understand it and I can know it apart from him. The only other way to know it apart from him is to know it in the flesh, far, far below what he truly is and who I truly am in him. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in sunder. The spear. You know, we need to keep up the shield for ourselves in Ephesians 6.16, whereby we're able to quench all the fiery missiles of hell that want to get into and interrupt the streams of consciousness, those streams that come from the river of God's love through Christ for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He burns the chariot in the fire. The fire and holiness, the jealousy and fire of holiness of his love wants to consume these little chariots that the flesh thinks we, that can take us somewhere without him. No. No, be still. Why? Oh, because his love is a finished love. He's still. And until we are resting in his love, then and only then do I know that God is God in me and that he will, his will will be exalted among all the unsaved and then he will be exalted in the earth. We see that very clearly. This psalm here is bringing out very, very beautifully. We can see it, how what this psalm is doing in the Hebrew brings this out. 
the Hebrew brings out the reality of Psalm 46, and it also will, will, will touch us by the time we get to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Here is Genesis, the first chapter. And what Genesis is bringing out is so incredible. So incredible. This is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, this is time. This is time. You see, eternity is John 1, 1 to 18. That's eternity. That's God giving us. Unbelievable. He is allowing us to see his eternity and this love relationship that nothing can disturb or distract between the Father and the Son for the Holy Spirit proceeding. And we see that. That's eternity in John 1, 1 to 18. Here's the beginning of time. In the beginning, in the beginning, God began to do something. He created the heaven and the earth. Something happened in between. And the earth was without form. And void, it was empty. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit began to move upon the face of the waters. You see, there was an angelic conflict between those two verses. I firmly believe it by the by the grace of Almighty God, by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It's brought out in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 23. It's brought out in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, and 15 down to the end. It is brought out in Isaiah 14, 9 and 19. That's talking eternal things that happened before time. The angelic conflict of which we are in. Every human being is born in that, saved or unsaved. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 19, we're born into a conflict. You see, God would never create anything, but a chaos happened. There was chaos. There was confusion. And God's not the author of confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, but of life and peace. The Spirit of God and moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, oh, you hear his voice? You hear him speak in power, in energy of his love. And God said, not of that love. He said, let there be light. I want us to notice before he created the sun, moon, and the stars, he said, let light be. That's the sun in his pre-incarnate state. Who in John 1, 3 and Colossians 1, 16 created everything. He's created us in himself, God, through his Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, for we are, verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. This is what this is bringing out. We were born in sin. In Psalm 51, in verse 4 and 5, verse 5, and 58, verse 3 of Psalm, in a chaotic place, in chaos with that sin nature. But God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light. This is beautiful. He's seeing us in the light of who he, his son has made us to be and taken us out of a chaotic place. This is 1 John 1, 7. Walk in the light. That's character, not conduct. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And then you will experience the constant cleansing of that eternal salvation through the blood that was poured out 
and we have fellowship. And God said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. It's only good in him. There's no good in us in John 6, 63, in the flesh that's in us that we're not of in Romans 8, 9. Oh, how the enemy wants to remove us from experiencing his love and get us into an old chaotic state. Oh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. We're not to know any man after the flesh, and that starts with us. We're not to know ourselves after that old chaotic state. Standing state. That old chaotic state. No, old things are not in the process. We're not even to know Christ and how he was on the earth because he's far above all of that. No. Old things are not in the process of passing away, meaning that we have to do something now. No. It says old things, past tense, present active participle, all things already are passed away. Behold, do you see this? And God wants us to see it. All things are new in him, you and I. We're not the old chaotic state. We no longer listen to the voice of the stranger about ourselves, about God, about ourselves, or about others, even the unsaved. Again, in John 10, 3, verse 4, we don't hear the stranger's voice. Well, God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. We're no longer children of darkness, but of the light in Ephesians 5, 8. Again, 1 John 1, 7. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 and 6. We're no longer darkness. We no longer function in a chaotic state because we're positioned in the sun. And God is resting in his son and the son resting in the father with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both. And we are filled up in him. In Colossians 2 and verse 10. And God called the light day. Oh, God. Day, we're children of the day, not of the night. Again, that's First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. We're not children of the night. That's First Thessalonians 5, 5 through 10. We're not children of the night, that chaotic state, standing and saying, no, no. We're children of the day. This is Second Peter 1, 19 to 21. He called the light day. That's who we are in Christ. And the darkness he called night. Eternal separation. And the evening and the, the morning were the first day. That's time. And God said, listen to what he says. God says he speaks and look what happens. His creative power and energy. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, divided the waters. He did all of this. It said in verse 7, verse 6, it said God said. Verse 7, it said God made. Verse 8, God called. In verse 9, God said. Verse 10, God called. Verse 11, and he saw all that was good, everything he was doing, in and through Christ, and Christ in him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was good. And God said. It was good in 1, 11 and 12. And that was the third day, the resurrection day. That resurrection day in Matthew 28, 1 to 6. That resurrection life, it's ours. It's ours in Romans 8, 11. That resurrection life, that is ours 
and proof of it. Acts 17, 30. There was a time when God blinked at sin, but now he's called all to change their mind. Why? Because, because, the, because of why? Because the resurrection life that's ours is proving that there's no judgment for us. God's not judging you and I for our failures. Did, did we know that? Not one of them. They've been judged in Christ and finished and done away with. With all of us. With me. With you. And God said in verse, verse 14. And God made in 16. And God set. He set all the moon, the sun, and the stars, and he set them in their place. You know why they stay there? Because God said so. He said so. And he set us in Christ because he said so. And it's power. And then verse 18, it says, to rule over the day and over the night. You know, Christ is constantly ruling and reigning over us in his love for us. Constantly. Because they're both alike to him. Read Psalm 139, 7 to the end of that chapter. The night and the day are both alike to him when he sees us, how he sees us in his love. And to divide the light from the darkness. You see, the light comes in and divides us from the enemy, trying to bring in a chaotic state in our thinking again. Because he made those two great lights. The moon and the sun and the moon. You see, the sun is the source. The moon has no source in itself. It only reflects what it receives from the sun. And that's you and I in Christ. This is what this is bringing out here. And it rules over us. And when he does, he divides the light. Who we truly are from the darkness. The light of the enemy. In the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, and there was life. God created in 121. And God saw that was, was all good. And God blessed that. And said, be fruitful and multiply. And in evening and the morning in 23 was the fifth day. And God said again. He said it again in 124. What God said is what God made in 125. And all that God did was good. Then God said this. Let us make a man, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. And of course, so God created man and we know he lost that, that dominion. He gave in to a chaotic state. We see it in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. The enemy wants to bring us back to that chaotic state. But no, there's a river. We see it again. In Psalm 46, there's a river. There's a river. And that river again, in Ezekiel 47, is going to carry us. And our growth, it's up to the ankle. It's up to the knees. It's up to the loins and our growth. And cleansing power, too, by the way, in John 13, 4 through 10. In Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, it's cleansing us. And so now we know it, it, this literally is carrying us to a place in John 21 and verse 18, we wouldn't have even thought of going, but it was God's thought. It was his. And finally, in verse 31 of Genesis 1, God saw everything, notice that he made. 
And behold, guess what? It was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day, for man was created on the sixth day. And then what? Verse 2 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. You know, everything about us in our heavenly position, even while we're on the earth right now, is finished. Who loved it? The power of God's love. No one took Jesus. The cross didn't take him. Those people didn't take him. And John the 18th chapter and verses 1 through 6, they didn't take him. He gave himself over because he had power. In John 10 and verse 18, to lay it down, his own life, and then power to take it back up, us with him. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended. He finished his work in John 19 and verse 30 which he had made through his son. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. He rested. And as we close this, this beautiful counsel, when God speaks to his son to us that are in him, he speaks in the light of who he's made us to be in Christ and takes us from going back to that old chaos, that old life, that old way of thinking. I think it's beautiful. You know, Jesus went up. And what is that old chaotic way? What is it? It's called pride. Functioning under the enemy. Living for myself and no one else. Pride. Self-exaltation. That chaotic state. Based upon fear. Raging and foaming, raging in anger and foaming continually, continually. But he's delivered us from that old chaotic state. He brings it up again in Matthew, the 14th chapter. You know, it says that Jesus went up into a mountain, listen, all alone to pray. What is that speaking of? That's Romans 8, verse 34. That's Hebrews 7 and verse 25. That's Hebrews 9 and verse 24. He went up, and guess what he's doing right now? No, and he wants us to know. We don't have to guess. He's interceding with us with a love that doesn't change. He went up into a mountain alone. You see, alone with God, he and, and is literally, they have this fellowship now between the Father and the Son with all those that Christ has brought with him positionally there. Positionally, he went up alone. And then they, the disciples at that point, they were in a ship. And they were in the midst of the ocean. Notice this. This is Matthew, the 14th chapter. They were in the midst. They were right in the midst. Listen. Here. They were right in the midst. 14. 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, to intercede. And this is what this is teaching us. And when the evening was come, he was there alone, interceding for you and I, through your pain, through your tears, through your sorrows, giving you just enough that day so that if he gave you too much and gave me too much, we wouldn't want him anymore. He wouldn't be our desire anymore. But he keeps us hungry for him. 
and he's teaching us and preparing us for our eternal fellowship with him. Again, face to face in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 and Revelations 2 and verse 17. He was there alone interceding, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Listen, tossed with waves. All these thoughts and waves coming against us, against the purity of the conscience that we have in Christ in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. And we have a purified conscience in Titus 1 and verse 15. We're already pure positionally. The enemy comes in. And he's interceding for them right when they're in the ship, in the midst of the sea, in the midst of the trouble. They were tossed with waves for the wind, prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. The wind, the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The wind was contrary. All these lying contrary thoughts about God to you, about you to God, about other believers, about even the unsaved. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them. Walking on the sea. Was the sea troubled? Was it roaring where they were? And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And what did they do? They cried out for fear. Oh, Lord, remember in Luke, the eighth chapter, they were in the ship and the storm was coming and Jesus was asleep. And he is resting in us and his love for us. And we forget him and the storms come and we cry out, God, don't you care? Well, they were in fear. Verse 27, but right away, without delay, Jesus spoke unto them. There's the voice of the shepherd saying, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer in the midst of the waves. You're troubled. Be of good cheer. I've already overcome the whole world and what it's trying to do against you. In John 16, and verse 33, I'm going to give you peace, something the world can never give you. In John 14, 27, and it is my peace. I am your peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14, and I'm going to give you the peace that I have as a son of man dealing with everything about you and I that we could never do. The peace and the love that we now have in the Father, I'm going to give you that because it's yours and me. And me and you. So don't let your heart be troubled. In John 14, 1. And stop being afraid. Do you believe in God? Do you? Well then believe in me. And what I've accomplished. He went right into the. Right into that. Jesus went right into. And he's walking on the sea. They were fearful. Verse 27. He spoke to them instantly, be a good cheer. Guess what? It is, and don't guess, just know, it is I. Stop being fearful. Stop. My love, the authority of my love, commands you to stop it immediately. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Right in the midst of the troubled sea, tell me to come. And guess what he said? This is what he spoke, and this is what God's speaking to us today. Come. Come to me. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, come. One powerful word. And when Peter was come out of the ship, the place that he thought would be most safe, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, 
raging strong, he was afraid and he began to sink in the midst of his trials, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the mundanity of every single day. He began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me, please deliver me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. That's grace in 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he will lift you up out of it and exalt you in his due time. And then you'll cast all your anxiety on him in 1 Peter 5, 7. To do away with the roaring lion in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. And he caught him and said to him, and he said it without accusation or condemnation, Oh, you of little depending upon my love. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, he with them, guess what? The wind ceased. You'll see this in Luke the 8th chapter. In the midst of the storm, he just got up. They woke him up out of a sleep. He knows what it's like to be tired, to be hated, to be rejected. He knows it. You'll see that in Matthew the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 27. And, that, and in that, he calls us to where he went, to a loving father in 28 to 30 of Matthew the 11th chapter. He spoke a word. He spoke a word to the wind, to the raging lies of the enemy. With power, with power. And he spoke and he said, be muzzled. And instantly there was a calm. I can't tell you how many times. The night seasons. My ups and downs, my failures. Seeing, not seeing myself properly. And not seeing others. Not because I don't see God. I don't see Christ in me and see him for others. I sit here in the morning and in comes his word. In comes his word. And an amazing calm because of power, the power of God's love. It takes us out of the pride of self-exaltation. It takes us away from the old chaos. And it doesn't matter. I no longer, like with the world, under deception in, in Revelation 12, 9, rage and foam continually. No. Even though the mountains fall into the sea. No. He's given me a song. In Job 35 and verse 10, Psalm 77 and verse 6, Isaiah 40, uh, Psalm 40, verse 3. He's given me a song, beautiful music. And you know what the strong is? He strengthens me and gives me trustful, believing confidence. In Hebrews 10, 34 to 36, gives us confidence. And then there's a stream comes in. The streams of proper consciousness of the purity of the word of God. And it's like a he, he it's like a beautiful, calm river, and it's carrying me. Why? You know what the river is? It's the grace and truth in John 1, verse 14, of who Christ is. It is. It's the grace and truth of He is. It's like, and He brings us again in the paradise of His presence. Not going back to the old paradise and trying to recreate the Garden of Eden like the world continues to do and like so many others of us at times when we're not taught or when we don't submit to it, try to do, try to create something. No, there's a stream. It's the place of God. And when I'm threatened by the enemy with fear and despair, 
oh, when the enemy comes in like a flood against us, against the consciousness. When the enemy comes in like a flood, in Isaiah 59, verse 19, the Lord will lift up a standard. You see, the Holy Spirit lifts up a standard. That standard is Christ. Then the enemy flees. Because in Isaiah 54, verse 17, no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. And every tongue that rises against us will be dealt with and has been by Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when I'm threatened, with fear and despair, in comes a river of grace. And that brings us promises that flows in our consciousness and brings us to a holy place, that dwelling place, which is the tabernacle of the Most High. And that's Christ. That's Christ. And we begin to experience His name. What is His name? His name is a glorious dwelling place. And the place of, of the river in Psalm 46, we find him from where all that river flows from, Christ. And then he comes in and he helps us. And there is not only a night of trouble. We have a night of trouble, yes. But soon, there won't be. There won't be any more night. In Revelations 21 and verse 23, there'll be sun and moon and stars, but we won't need that to light us up. He's going to light us up individually with all, our, all of who Christ is in us with his love. But you know what? There, there is, and I've experienced nights of trouble. But then there's a, the return of the morning, the dawn, his love, his love light, his love light. And it's a sunrise of really speedy help. And he comes in. And we no longer function in cowardice. Luke 18, when men should always pray. And not turn coward and give up and give in to the evil. No. He's with us. Yahweh. Siboath. That is his name. What is his name? It's a glorious dwelling. What is his name? His name in Exodus 3 and verse 14 is I am what I am. And as we close this morning, that's his name. And what is his name? Moses wanted to know two things, and you and I are no different. And God has called us with a heavenly calling. You see, Moses was called with an earthly calling. We're called with a heavenly calling. And he asked two things. He said, who am I? Who am I? That's what am I all about? You know how many Christians don't know? the plan of God for them. Who am I? What am I all about? We ask that. And then we ask this, who are you? And the answer to both is, I am with you. And that with means the depth of the intimacy of his love. And again, we'll close with this word, hashak, H-A-S-H-A-Q. It's a Hebrew word that God loves us with a love positioned us in his son in a love in John 6, 37 and 39 and in John 10, 28 and 29. He loves us with a love that will never let us go. Father, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.
Yeah.